Good morning, you guys. So I am going to read um, from Psalm 68 to start off our time together today. You're welcome to to flip there if you want to, but I'm just going to read it. We're going to be in Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6. It says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord, and celebrate before him. God in his holy dwelling is a father to the fatherless and a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted and leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious live in a scorched land. Thank you, Ellie. Good morning again, everybody. You may have thought that I planned uh, those verses to be read because... um, They fit for Father's Day, but they actually fit the text, and that's why I picked it. So don't give me any extra credit for that. I did not plan that out. In 1843, Samuel Morse built a telegraph system from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore. And on May 24th of 1844, the first telegraph message, What Hath God Wrought, was sent. Uh, The telegraph was a game changer and began a communication revolution, if you will, that's continued on for the last 180 years or so. It'd be fascinating, I think, if we could take our devices now back to Samuel Morse and say, look what we got. Look what we can put in the palm of our hands. It'd be pretty incredible to him, I think. But imagine what it would have been like back in the mid-1800s to walk into a telegraph office and watch electricity move those needles back and forth and how fascinating and overwhelming that would be. What an advance of technology. And electricity has a mysterious aspect to it. You can't see it or feel it, but the operator would tell you that the electric current is moving through the wire, and as you watched the machine operate, we could ask the question, how does he know? He'd say, I know by looking at the needle. How is that? I could, I could move the needles so easily myself, yet the one who's taught the art sees before him in those needles not only electric action, but a deeper mystery. He perceives that a mind is directing the invisible force and speaking by means of it. Not to all, but to the initiated, is it given to see the mystery that's hidden within the simplicity. To the initiated, I'll repeat that, it's given, this to, it's given to see the mystery hidden within the simplicity. The believer sees in faith, which is as simple as the movements of the needle, an indication that God is operating on the human mind. The spiritual man discerns that there's an inner secret implied by it that the carnal eye can't decipher. To believe in Jesus is a better indicator of regeneration than anything else, and in no case has it ever misled. Faith in the living God and his son, Jesus Christ, is always the result of new birth and can never exist except in the regenerate. Whoever has faith is saved. This will make a lot more sense, I think, if we read the beginning of our text this morning. If you would look at John, 1 John, excuse me, chapter 5. We're beginning the last chapter in our study in this letter. So if you would turn there with me this morning. John begins our text by making this very point that I think is very well illustrated by looking at the telegraph. He makes this evident. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. 
This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. This is the word of the Lord. I love the way John opens this final chapter. And obviously, we, we inserted the chapter breaks later on in time. This was written in letter form. So it's really him just continuing his thought process. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. Having opened with our faith in Jesus and our regeneration by his blood into a new creation in him, this has some obvious ramifications in our lives. It's going to produce some effects in our lives. And I think we know that, but I want to I switch paintbrushes, if you were. My wife paints all the time. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm, you know, Sarah never realized that when I became a pastor that much of her life would be talked about on stage. <laughs> but my wife paints a lot, and so there, there's, there's always something new in our house. And, and, and God knew, this is a total aside, God knew that, that I like change, I like freshness. I like new things. So he just put me with this gal for the rest of my days that would have some kind of new color in the house at any given moment. So allow me to be like my wife for a second and switch paintbrushes and and apply a little bit of a broader stroke here to what we're talking about. That psalm that Ellie read to open our time, I want to read it for you again because I want you to listen for familial language here, okay? Familial language within this psalm. Look at Psalm 68. We'll put it on the screen, verses 4 through 6. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and celebrate before him. God in his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious live in a scorched land. Does God provide home for the deserted somewhere in his neighborhood? Does, is it somewhere in like God's little subdevelopment where it's like, well, God lives down the street and all his people are over here? Just reading your faces. There were some nods at first and they kind of froze. Uh, I don't know. Is he going there? I don't know if he's going there. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Bring us into his neighborhood. Because of Jesus in whom our faith is anchored, we know that Romans 8, 14 through 17 speaks directly to us, church. Listen to these words. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We love God because he loved us so much that he brought us into his own home. God brought us home. He brought us into his own house. He doesn't just want you nearby. He wants you in the building with him. He wants you near him. And because we've been adopted into his family by his grace, we love him all the more and not just him. But John continues, but all those who are now our brothers and sisters adopted into this same house, everyone who loves the father also loves the one born of him. 
I don't know if you guys were around. Some of the younger people in the room might not remember this, but do you remember Big House by Audio Adrenaline? I couldn't get that out of my head when I was reading this. You know, lots and lots of rooms. Like, there's like this idea of like living in the house of God as family. That's the picture that's shown to us in scripture. And so often we live in a disconnected society that sees each other maybe once or twice a week. Maybe that's if we're doing really good. I'd say on average, maybe once every other week. We don't really check in on each other. We're not bumping into each other on the way to breakfast in the morning. We're not arguing with someone in the hallways. We're not rapping on the door trying to get into the bathroom. Right? And you think about those things, you're like, these are all the things I didn't like about my house. What's fascinating to me about this is there's something amazing about being so familial with each other that we talk about everything that's going on. That we have this open confession and communication. We have this family atmosphere where we can talk to each other like we live in the same house together. And according to Scripture, This is our status. He is our father and we're siblings. I'm sorry, you're related to me. That's just the way it is. What's interesting, A.E. Brooke said this really well. Everyone who has been born of God must love those who have been similarly ennobled. The word ennobled means to be given a title. In other words, he's saying this. Everyone who's been born of God has to love each other because we share the same title, son and daughter. And notice that it isn't just put up with each other. How many of our homes have been a really bad example of this? Like, I put up with my siblings, okay? I do not love them. They annoy me. Listen, people who you love and who love you will annoy you. That's just a given. In fact, you probably don't love people very much if you aren't annoying to them. I should probably think that statement through. (laughs) My phone's going to ring off the hook all week. Just here to be annoying. You guys, if we love God, we love the children who are part of the same family. This is connected. It's interconnected. That's not just the church. I honestly see so much love for one another in this body. I really do. But it's not just here. This love extends outside these walls to the entire family of Christ. I hang out with people. Thanks to you, YWAMers. You guys rock. I hang out with people all the time when I hang out with these guys that I never met. And you know what's awesome? They're like family to me. There's no disconnect. We hang out, we talk, we, we kind of figure things out about each other, but there is an amazing connection in the body of Christ with people that should always be there. We're family. We have commonality. If you haven't traveled to another country and sat in on a worship service where you don't understand the language, you might not grasp this fully yet. But there is something amazing that happens in other places when you don't know the language and the spirit drops and you're like, whoa, we that wasn't in the notes you guys it's just family you're like we are connected by something more powerful than physicality here even though we share that too we did all come from the same parents you know there should be love in our hearts for every single human being on this planet no matter what the color of their skin no matter what language they speak because we are family we were all born from the same parents we're just way down the line You know, it would take us a while to be like twice removed, third removed, fourth removed, fifth removed, but we're all connected. And even more so because of Jesus in Christ in the church. You guys, we are connected spiritually to one another. And according to scripture, 
we all have the same Father. All those who are part of the same household ought to love one another. I want to remind you guys that most of our family, according to Scripture, most of our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, don't go to church here. How are you showing love? How are you caring for them? Are you praying for them? Look, I don't know their names. You don't have to. God knows their names. We have family all around this globe. They're a part of us. Are we caring for them through prayer, through reaching out? You guys, one of my best friends is a long, long way from me on the other side of the world in Nairobi, Kenya. He has a beautiful family in a tiny little town just outside of Nairobi. He runs a U-turn for Christ ministry. Beautiful wife, beautiful kids, tiny little church. We talk three, four times a week. He's my brother. He's closer to me than many guys that are close in proximity because we're close in spirit. And I just texted him this morning. Told him I loved him. I was praying for his sermon series in Acts. That's, that's what God can do in the family of Christ. That's what he's done in us when he brings us into the house together. We're called to love widely and deeply. And we're responsible to care for them. John says this, he says in verse 2, this is how we know that we love God's children. He says, do you want to know if you love God's children? Do you want to know if you're loving them in the way that you should? When we love God and obey his commandments. He says, if you want to know that you love God's children, then your love for God must be evident in obedience. For this is what love of God is, he says, the beginning of verse 3, to keep his commands. Last week, Brandon Oliver, who's the director of YWAM North Idaho, is handing that off and he's moving their group over to Thailand. He said that if God had a love language, it would be obedience. I love that. I absolutely love that. I'd like to thank the Holy Spirit for setting up this week's message for me. Because he's absolutely right. William Barclay said this, Obedience is the only proof of love. We cannot prove our love to anyone other than by seeking to please and bring joy to that person. True love is self-sacrificing, not selfish. That quote has to be heard through the ears of faith, church. We can't hear it through the ears of the world. They will misconstrue it. Obedience is the only proof of love. We cannot prove our love to anyone other than by seeking to please and bring joy to that person. If you want to know that you love each other, your love for God must be working its way from inside out. It is evident in your obedience to him. And if obedience is not your strong suit, you might have a love problem. If my obedience to God isn't something I'm really that good at, ah, I just, you know, and I'm not saying this comes easy. I'm saying it's something that we should be maturing and we should be growing in. The world will twist what seeking to please and bring joy to someone means in the same way that Satan will try to mingle truth with lie. And we understand what true love looks like in the flesh manifested through obedience. His name is Jesus Christ. That is what obedience and true love looks like. You look at the life of Jesus. How did he live? That's who I want to be. That's who I'm called to be. And that's who, church, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be. If you're having an obedience problem, you're walking in the flesh. 
I know from experience. We can be obedient to God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. In the household of God, obedience is the only proof of love. Let me paint this a little bit differently. Let me switch brushes here. How is my love for God seen? This is interesting. How do people see my love for God? 1 John 4.20, if anyone says I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. When I taught that passage prior just a few weeks ago, I said that we are the lens that the world sees God through. We are the lens when they look at us, they should see God. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So my love for others is how people know that I love God. Let me ask the reverse question. How is my love for others seen? It's right here in 1 John 5, 2. Look at it again. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands. Think of it this way. I have a visual for this. Switch to the next slide. For love, our love for God reveals our love for others, reveals our love for God, and around and around and around and around it goes. If you want to know if I love God, look at how I love others. If you want to know I love others, look at how I love God. Isn't it amazing that what we've been studying through in 1 John, so much over and over again, we've talked about this. The writing style is amplification. It's not linear. He's going around to the same subjects, returning to them again, explaining them in a deeper way. And you're like, boy, this letter just feels like we're going in circles. Ah, you're getting it because it's this. It's teaching us the importance of loving God, which begets loving others, and how our loving of others begets us loving God. And it just reveals this more and more. And the more that we do that, the more we draw near to him. And when we love one another, we're going to be closer to God. And when I'm closer to God, I'm going to love one another. And when we're not being loving to each other, what does that mean? I'm not walking close to the Lord. There's distance between he and I. 1 John 5, 3, the first half of that says, for this is what love for God is. He focuses, it, he focuses in on our love for God and our relationship with him. It's to keep his commands. Keeping the commands of God is something that we've never been great at on our own. And thank the Lord that we're not alone in this. It's almost as if John understood that reality. As soon as he wrote the first part of verse 3, he immediately reminds the reader of something vital. In the second half of verse 3, he says, and his commands are not a burden. Right? You're almost like, I can't. He's like, it's not a burden, dude. Calm down. He probably didn't say dude. Whatever dude was in the Greek. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. He says, when you hear the commands of God, what do you think? Well, the scribal and Pharisaic mass of rules and regulations in John's time could be an intolerable burden on people. When they, ha- when they heard the words, keep the law, keep the commands, it was like, oh, it was like being told to clean your room. You know, you're like, I, I like cleaning my room. Fine, whatever you don't enjoy. Right? It was being told to do something that you didn't enjoy. You are now bound to do something. You're commanded to do something. You hear a command, it's like, great. God's just here to make sure that I don't have fun. And it's interesting because you're like, oh, that's not how I view God. Really? Then why do you disobey him? 
Honestly, that's the truth of the matter. If we really believe that what God has said is best and the flesh wasn't in the way, we would just do it knowing that it's what's best for us. I don't even have to know why. Were you a why kid? Did your parents love you because of your whys? Go do this. Why? Because I really need it. Why? Because I'll kill you. Go do it right now. (laughs) Happy Father's Day. (laughs) I speak from experience on my parents' side. But you guys, like, you know, we, we, we have to have this explanation. Why? Why? Explain it to me. Why? And it's like, listen, if I love God, I don't have to ask why. What I love about God is he's patient when I do. Don't you love the patience of God and how messed up we are? I was talking to someone recently about Gideon. You know, about putting the fleece out and having to fleece again, right? And Gideon's like, well, I'm going to put this fleece out. And can you just let, you know, like the, 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 the fleece be wet, but the grass be dry. And then he gets, he's like, ah, oh, wait a minute. Can we do it the other way around? And, and what's interesting is people are like, see, Gideon, man, he had a faith problem. You know what's amazing is in the midst of his faith problem, God was so patient. God was so patient with him. And that man who couldn't figure out what he should do or needed, needed the fleece on the grass to figure out what he should do, ended up leading a very small army against a very massive army and bringing a great victory to God's people because he believed God and then God filled him with his spirit to do his work. You know, God's still getting work done the same way, church. Believe in Jesus Christ You will be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can do the work of God. So that you can, as the scripture says in the Greek, energio, which means actively work out what he has actively worked into you. Notice that we should never be consumers only. We are never called to receive his truth and understand what God has said and not live it out. And not actually be what James says in James chapter 1, doers of the word and not hearers only. At this time, the scribal and Pharisaic mass of rules and regulations were just this intolerable burden. And John says, take heart, church. His commands aren't a burden. In fact, I wonder, and I don't know this for sure. I'll ask him sometime. If he was thinking of Matthew 11. I'll get to that in a minute. How heavy was the load from the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, it says this just in contrast with what we'll see in Matthew 11, just for for accuracy here. In Matthew 23, 4, Jesus said of the scribes and Pharisees, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. That's the ways of men. That's the ways of legalism. Do all this stuff. I don't know how. Figure it out. That is bad leadership. Bad leadership says, go do this thing that I'm not willing to do myself. You're like, well, I don't know. There's times where, listen, we should never tell somebody to go do something that we are not willing to do ourselves or have not for ourselves done. Jesus is our example. Jesus didn't tell us to lay down our lives and go live a comfy, cushy life in a castle somewhere as the king. Jesus went to the cross Jesus was beaten within an inch of his life. He was nailed to a cross. His blood was spilled all over the ground. He had a crown of thorns smashed into his skull, and he died there 
Therefore, his words have power when he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. His words have power because he lived them. The Pharisees just tied up heavy loads that were hard to carry. They put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Jesus does not lay any weight upon us that he himself has not already carried. That he himself has not already gone through. In the book of Hebrews, it says that, that he was tested and tempted in every way as we were yet without sin. And so we have this high priest that we can come to. He doesn't allow burdens in our lives that he will not strengthen us to bear. That he will not fill us with his spirit to carry. Oh, it's too much for us to do on our own. We can't do it on our own. But by his spirit, not by might, not by strength. As it says in Zechariah, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is going to be done by the spirit of God. And here's why, church. When we are empowered by him to keep his commands, he gets the glory. He gets the glory. We don't. If I just find a way to muster up strength and get his will done, God is not going to be glorified in that. God is going to be glorified when his spirit empowers me to do it. When I am transformed by him. Think about the burden. Think about what John says here. His commands are not a burden. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus speaking, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Are you going to work hard in this life? Yes, but you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think a lot of times when we view our struggles in life, when we view the things that we're going through, we're thinking about how we can't do them in our flesh. We're thinking about how we physically can't accomplish something or mentally or emotionally or spiritually. I can't do this. But Jesus says, if you come to me, what makes that yoke easy? And what makes that burden light? You see, Jesus himself. When you come to Jesus, he doesn't give you a burden and leave you. When you come to Jesus, he stays with you. He leads you. He guides you. He strengthens you. See, when you take his yoke upon you, he's not going to leave you in the field wandering around by yourself. He says, I will never leave nor forsake you. Coming to Jesus doesn't mean that our lives are going to be easy. Coming to Jesus means we will have every portion of strength for the life that we live to do it in a godly way for the rest of our lives. Dean Ortland writes this, if Jesus hosted his own personal website, the most prominent line of the about me drop down would read gentle and lowly of heart. It is the passage of scripture where Jesus describes the posture of his heart there in Matthew 11. It's so powerful because we have to often be reminded that the burdens we bear in this life qualify us to come to Jesus The burden that you're bearing is not separating you from him. It's your pre-qualified phone call from that credit card company. 
Are you struggling? You're pre-qualified. Jesus says, come to me. Imagine that. If every time you felt overwhelmed, you're like, I'm pre-qualified for this. He's called me to himself. When I'm aware of my burden and my lack of ability to handle it, that is Jesus reminding me that I need him. That's calling me to him. When we are the most weary and burdened, he draws us all the same, and I would say, all the more. When I'm at my lowest point in my most broken place, when I feel like I'm the most disgusting and the least lovable or likable person on this entire planet, and you know what I'm talking about because you know your thoughts and I know mine. When we get to that place, that is where Jesus wants us the most. It's where he desires us the most. His arms are still open. He's still wanting you. He still likes you. He still loves you. And he's calling you out of that sin. John, here in our text, is not saying that in any way that obedience to God's commands is easy to achieve. What we have to remember is that we don't approach the judge's bench alone. We think about it in those terms, don't we? I can't stand before God. I can't stand there holy. And Jesus says, I'm not only a mediator, I'm an advocate. We have an advocate. 1 John 2, verses 1 through 2, we studied this in months past. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus in the role of the advocate is not just standing there in between us and God, bringing us to terms. He comes alongside us as a friend and brings us to the Father and says, it's okay this one's with me i've cleansed this one you can accept this child and the judge looks at the son and says all right because of the advocacy of christ we're not only cleansed of our failure but empowered by the spirit through the love of god to obey him and his love is poured into our hearts Our response to God must be the response of love. And for love, no duty is too hard and no task too great. Think about what you would do for the person that you love. Think about that. What would you do for a person that you love? What would stop you from caring for them? What would stop you from getting to them if they needed your help? Now think about what Jesus did for us. No blockage in the road could stop him from going to the cross. Nothing was going to hinder him. He had set his face to obey the command of the Father, and he was not going to be stopped. Why? Because he loved us. He still loves you. He still wants you. He still cares for you. He's still watching out for you. Church, he is still filling you with his spirit faithfully. Think of how willing we become to do impossible things when we love somebody. That same love that God showed us through Jesus Christ has been poured into our hearts and we need to pour it out on each other. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. That's 
the apart from God ways of the world. That's the sinful rejection of God by the world. He says this in verse 4, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. It's our faith. We conquer the world that has rejected God through faith. And John brings us back to verse 1 of this chapter. Very quickly, a four-verse turnaround. He comes right back to chapter, or the beginning of the chapter in verse 1. The Greek word that he uses here, faith, at the very end of verse 4, is the same root word that he uses for believes in verse 1. Let's just translate a little bit differently. The root word is the exact same. Faith, love, and victory are our victory. Victory, ha! You never know when Elmer Fudd's going to jump into the midst of your sermon. Faith, love, and victory are all intertwined in Christ. You guys remember that. Faith, love, and victory are all intertwined in Christ. Spurgeon said it this way, Faith conquers first by regarding the unseen reward that awaits us. The first conquering that our faith gives us is this unseen reward that awaits us. We have an anticipation of our future. We've been given a glimpse of what eternity is going to be like. Read the book of Revelation. It's amazing. It reveals to us. So many people read the book of Revelation trying to figure out how things are going to happen. I'm not saying there are indicators there. But the book of Revelation is to draw our attention to Jesus and to remind us that he wins. Jesus Christ conquers and we will reign with him forever because God's dwelling is going to be with man. That's awesome. That's great. That's really good news. You guys, faith conquers first by regarding the unseen reward that awaits us. It's the unseen reward. Think about it this way. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You're like, ooh, I'm gonna get some loot. No, you're not. Not the way you're thinking. He's not talking about earthly rewards. He's talking about the ultimate reward, Jesus. Your ultimate reward is to spend the rest of eternity in the presence of God, sin-free. Church, tell me that you don't long for that. Tell me that you're not longing for the moment where you don't have sin in your life anymore, where this filthy flesh is gone and you've been remade and you are in purity and holiness walking with God in the garden. Doesn't that sound amazing? Because we as people, even if we're like, oh, I don't need others. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. We were made for relationship. And the relationship that you long for more than anything, even if you don't realize it, is not that guy or that gal. It's not this situation. God has given us blessings in this life, but the relationship that you long for the most is a loving relationship face-to-face with God himself. That is the only thing that's going to satisfy us, and that is our hope and our reward. And so without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He will reward us with himself. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the son of God. You guys, this is what I want us to grasp here. The faith that God is growing in you. That reward that we trust in. 
makes us more loving people now. I am not interested in people who know everything because no one does. I'm not interested in knowledge that puffs up. I am interested and I am longing for a church and for a people that love because love edifies. Because love builds up. Let me say it this way. Love is the encouragement of the church. If we love each other, we encourage each other. We build each other up. We convict of sin. We recognize when there's sin in each other's lives. That's why we come to each other and we confess according to James chapter 5. That's why we're called to restore those who are wandering away in a spirit of gentleness, lest we watch out for ourselves, lest we too be tempted and we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another. I'm preaching from Galatians 6. Sorry. You guys, I'm not interested in people who think they have all the answers. God didn't say that we were put here to have all the answers. He said we were put here to love him, which will then result in us loving each other, which will then result in us loving him more, which will then result in us, we get it, right? That's what we're here to do. Show me a church that loves each other because they love God and loves God because they're loving each other. You guys, That's the ultimate goal of our lives here and these lives here matter. God has put us here for a reason. Don't miss out on the opportunities he's going to give you today to love people. He gave you today so that you would. He gave you today so that you would love on each other and that you would love him. There are people that live their lives for a great number of things. Alexander the Great, when he was master of the whole world, was the greatest slave in it. He reached the end of his his places to conquer, and he wept because there was no one left to conquer. He was discontented even with his victories. The pride of conquest held him in captivity by something that was like an iron chain. He who aims at the highest greatness in this world may only be more greatly selfish than the rest of mankind. And what is that but to be a really small person? He is truly great who is the most unselfish, and he is the least of all who lives for himself alone. I'll say that again. He is truly great who is the most unselfish, and he is the least of all who lives for himself alone. The one who lives for himself alone loves only himself. the one who is unselfish, the least of these. That's the one that's washing feet like Jesus did in John 13. Let's be people like that. Let's be people that love each other so much that we're concerned about the dirt on each other's feet. I'm not talking about running around policing other people's sin. I'm talking about loving them enough to wash their feet. I'm talking about self-sacrifice. We are all going to face God. And the timing for that is in his hands. It's not in mine. The timing of when all these things culminate, history culminates and Jesus returns, that's not in my control. But he gave me today. He gave me today. He's going to let me serve him today. 
How am I going to serve him today? I don't know if I get tomorrow. I'll face that when it comes. For today. Church, I love you. I love you guys and I, I would not want to be in fellowship with anyone else because this is where God's called me to be. And for those of you who are called to be here and have been here, some of you for a decade or more, some of you are new. But if God has called you to be here, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Amen. Lord, teach us how to love each other more. Teach us how to care for each other. God, teach us humility. I pray that these words as they've been spoken would not be heard in any way as coming from someone who's trying to present this in arrogance. I don't have the answers. We have your word. And so God, I pray that your spirit would convey these truths into our hearts and confirm them. And Lord, I just ask for a humility as a body. Lord, I've known some of these people for a very long time. And I'm so grateful they're in my life. And I'm so sorry for times where I have not loved them like you have. Lord, I confess my shortcomings in frustration, irritation, selfishness. And I thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive me. Lord, I don't want to be like that. And if anyone else is here and is praying this prayer, Lord, we ask in sincerity that you teach us to love your way. That you teach us to prioritize the things that matter most to you. Jesus, we, we don't deserve you. But all the same, we say thank you. And we just recognize how desperately, desperately we need you. As we worship, Lord, would you stir our hearts? And I just want to call the church body to, to keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed for just a moment. And I just want you to ask something really simple. Just ask the Lord to refresh your heart. To renew a right spirit within us. To fill us with his love again. To remind us of who he is. And to remind us of how we ought to love one another. Let's take a moment. Let's keep our heads bowed. Let's just ask the Lord to speak and minister that into our hearts. And then we'll worship.